listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. Is this thing hot? All right. Just me. Thank you, Derek. I appreciate it. Hey, um, if you have a Bible, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We are in the middle of a series on the Holy Spirit. And if you have missed our first two sermons in this series, you can go to our website. That's fellowshipparagool.com. Uh, or you can go to iTunes and you can subscribe to our podcast for free on there. Um, I don't have time to go into uh, the first two sermons, but the first week we talked about the person of the Holy Spirit and the fact that the Holy Spirit is not an it, the Holy Spirit is a he, and he is the third person of the Trinity. And then last week we talked about the power of the Holy Spirit and the fact that everything that Jesus did, his miracles, being able to avoid temptation, the Bible says he did everything that he did through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he gives us the Holy Spirit to empower us to live a life that he has called us to live. And I hope that last week what you walked away with is the reality that Christianity is supernatural. Okay? And when you look around, we are all a bunch of very ordinary people Um, But we have an extraordinary God who wants to do extraordinary things through his church. Amen? And so that's what we talked about last week. And this week, as we talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to build off of that by talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And so, BJ, don't act like you're not excited, man. Okay? So um, I just want to say this. If you are here this morning, it's your first time, welcome. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here. We know you could have been anywhere this morning. The fact that you are here, uh, we don't take that lightly. Um, it is an honor to be able to worship alongside you. If you want more information about our church, you can grab that over here. You can fill out some information about yourself if you want us to contact you, or you can email me at jared at fellowshipparagold.com. That's J-A-R-E-D at fellowshipparagold.com. And here's what I want to say. If you are a guest, if this is your first time, especially if you are a non-Christian or someone who's just kind of peeking over the fence and you're not really sure what you believe about Christianity or the church, um, I just want to say um, this is not going to be your typical sermon um, that you're going to hear um, if you come in to, to Fellowship uh, Paragold. Um, this is going to be a very heady message, a very teachy uh, style. And um, I, I just want to say this. was probably at some point in this message, if you're not a Christian or you're not connected to the church, um, you might think to yourself, like, what does this have to do with me? Um, like, I'm not even sure I want to follow Jesus, much less like embrace these gifts that you're going to be talking about today uh, from the Bible. And, and what I would just say is, is my hope is this for you, is that as you leave more than anything, that you will focus on the reality that this passage points us to the truth that um, unlike any other religion, uh, the God of Christianity is a God who wants to be not only near to you, but he wants to live inside of you. And that's a radical claim, but it's a, it's a beautiful reality that God says, I know everything about you. I know every skeleton in your closet, uh, and you don't scare me off. In fact, I, I, I love you, I delight in you, and I want an intimate relationship with you. I don't want to just know you from afar. I want to live and take residence inside of you right now in this world. And I hope more than anything that's an encouragement to your heart this morning. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we're going to be. We're going to read in verse verse 14 all the way down to verse 31. If you don't have a Bible, we'll be sure and put the text on the screen for you. 
Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes this, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need for you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, and there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God has appointed to the church first apostles, and second prophets, third teachers, and miracles, and gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts? And I will show you still... A more excellent way. This is God's word. I'm going to ask that you pray for me one more time as I pray for you. Father, we do thank you so much for your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you not only want to know us from afar, but that you do want to take residence inside of us and that you do empower us for the life that you've called us to live. And I do pray right now through the power of your Holy Spirit that you will open our hearts and our minds to your word and that we will be transformed as a result. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. This is an awkward question, so don't raise your hand, but I want you to think about this for yourself. Do you remember whenever you first learned how babies were made? You remember that day? Um, I don't know what the appropriate age is. Uh, I was in kindergarten, actually, um, and I will remember it like it was yesterday. I was, at this, by the, uh, I guess, close to the swinging bridge on the Baldwin Elementary Playground when a girl named Billy, true story, came up to me and, and felt it was her job to explain everything to me. And as you can imagine, as a five-year-old, um, this was earth-shattering for me, to say the least. And I remember, like, later that afternoon, whenever my mom came and picked me up, like, I literally could not look her in the eye. And, uh, you know, so we're driving home, and um, she's like, is uh, something wrong? And I was like, oh, you know what's wrong, Mom. <laughs> you know? And she's like, you want to talk about it? I'm like, absolutely not. I don't want to talk about it, you know? And so I was like, let's just go. And so we, we get home and eventually we get into the house and I go straight to my room and, and throw a pillow over my head. And I'm just sitting there thinking the whole time, like everything I've ever believed is a lie, right? I mean, my dad calls himself a pastor, right? My parents claim to be Christian. So how in the world is this possible? And I remember like literally as a five-year-old being so distraught and to be honest, disgusted, right? By what I had learned. But here's the deal. Here's what's interesting. Now that I am an adult, and now that I myself am married, I think that God's design for making babies is awesome. Right? I do. I get an amen? 
In fact, I would have it no other way if I was God, right? I would have created it just like he created it. And what's interesting to me is if you think about it, that 27 years ago, what I perceived as awful, I now perceive as awesome, right? Uh, 27 years ago, what I perceived as gross, I now see as a gift, right? 27 years ago, what made me feel uncomfortable now is something that I quite enjoy, to be honest, right? And hopefully you do too. And the reason I share that with you is because, listen, when it comes to the things we're going to talk about today, like speaking in tongues and prophecy and all this other stuff, because of our lack of understanding, I think it scares some of us. It grosses some of us out. And we're like, you know what? I would rather just not talk about this. Like, why do we even have to, to do this all together? Like, you know, like, should boys go in one room and girls in another? Like, why are we doing this publicly? And what I want you to know is this, and what Paul wants you to see is as uncomfortable as the gifts make us and as weird as they seem, they are indeed gifts from the Holy Spirit to the church for the good of our church and ultimately for the glory of God. And as awful as maybe they may seem because of past abuses, right, they're actually not awful, they are awesome. And that's why Paul, if you look in actually 1 Corinthians 12, 1, he says, now concerning the spiritual gifts, brothers or sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. In other words, what Paul says is every Christian in here, listen, you should know what the gifts are about. You should understand it. You should not be uninformed on this. And then he goes on in chapter 12, verse 31, and chapter 14, verse 1, and he says that as a Christian, right, you are to earnestly desire the gifts. I want you to think about that this morning. Paul doesn't just say that you are to be okay with the gifts. He says you are to desire these things. As weird as they may be, as uncomfortable as they may make you, Paul says you're not only to be informed about the gifts, right? You are to desire them. You are to pursue them. And so here's what we believe is according to the scripture, we are commanded to understand the gifts and pursue the gifts, so what that means this morning is if you're here and you're like, okay, like I'm okay with the gifts, but I'm not going to delight in them and I'm not going to pursue them. According to the Bible, we believe that's sinful, right? Like we are commanded in scripture to know what this is all about. And listen, there are some of you this morning, if you can just be honest, like you do not remember the last time that you experienced the power of God in your life. Some of you honestly are bored out of your minds when it comes to the church. You're bored. And when it comes to, to Christianity, and I think possibly part of the reason for that this morning is because you are not using your God-given gifts to serve the church for the glory of God. And my hope this morning is that this message will be a message that awakens you to the reality of who God has created you to be, that you will finally for the first time be open to receive these gifts that he has given you. And as a result, you will experience his empowering presence like never before. And it will result in this church functioning as a healthy body that shows a picture to this world of what Jesus is really like. Okay? So that's my heart. The truth is, we are still a young church. Right? We are, we'll be three in September. Um... Thank you, BJ. Um, I like when you're right up here, buddy. All right. My daughter is three, and she's still in diapers, okay? Like, we can't even potty train her yet. And so like, she's still making tons of messes, even in her own pants. And in some ways, that's the way our church is, right? Like, like we are, all right? Let's just call it what it is. Like, we still have a lot of growing up to do. And if you look around, 
we are pretty diverse, right? And we have a lot of different backgrounds. I mean, we have some in here who grew up atheist, some who grew up agnostic, some who uh, grew up Catholic, some who grew up Pentecostal, some who grew up Baptist, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Methodist, Baptist. Have I said anything? Have I left anything out? Church of Christ. Yeah, we have several families that grew up Church of Christ. And so we have a wide, wide, wide range of just diversity. And not just religious diversity, but even socioeconomic diversity. I mean, personality. And on top of all of that, what we learn in this passage is Paul says, another unique thing about each one of us is we have all received uniquely these gifts that God has given us. And if we don't understand how they work together, we will never be able to function in unity as a healthy body that Christ has called us to be. Right? And if you look again in chapter 12, verse 14 and following, this is what Paul is getting at. In verse 14, he says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am uh, not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. What Paul is getting at here is just as the human body is made up of, of different parts that all work together, he's saying so is true of the church. The church is made up of different people with different gifts. And no matter how weird these gifts may seem, no, how, no matter how insignificant they may seem, right? Every single gift we see in the Bible is needed for the church. It's needed for us to function as a healthy body. And therefore, that is why we should delight in them and we should pursue them. Paul goes on to, to talk about this in more detail in verse 17 and following. He says, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So again, Paul is describing the church, and he uses this picture of the body, and he says every single Christian makes up a part of the body. Every single Christian has a unique gifting. And listen, what Paul is saying here is to not embrace the diversity of the gifts. It would be literally like the eye saying, well, since I'm an eye, we don't need ears. Right? Or since I have hands, I don't need feet. Right? Or since I'm a mouth, we don't need a tongue. No, what Paul is saying, in order for the body to be healthy, all of these gifts are needed and every single one of them should be exercised. Think of it like this. If you've ever gone into the gym, you've probably met that guy. Okay? And you know what I'm talking about. It's the guy that only works upper body and never works his legs, right? And uh, this is the guy that does like a gazillion curls and bench press and, and, and push-ups, right? And he walks around like when no one's looking or he thinks no one's looking. He's like, you know, flexing in the mirror, trying to get his pecs to bounce, whatever else, you know. And, uh, but if you look from the waist down, he's got this massive upper body and these little stick legs, Right? I mean, he literally looks like a cartoon character, right? Because he's so disproportional. I mean, he, it doesn't even look healthy. And this is what Paul is getting at when it comes to the body of Christ. What Paul is saying is the same is true when it comes to the, uh, the church. Just as there are many different muscles in our body that we need to work out and we need to exercise, there are many different gifts in the church that in order for us to be healthy, we need to work out and exercise. Okay? That's what he's getting at all here in chapter 12 and actually 13 and 14. So with that in mind, here's what I want to do. I want to briefly talk about the gifts, specifically the supernatural gifts that we see in Scripture. But I also want to mention the other gifts that we see lined out in the Bible. And what I want to do is, is I've put all the gifts from uh, the different places in Scripture into one of four categories. I'm going to throw them on the screen for you. And listen, 
The first three categories I cannot talk about in detail. Not because they are lesser of importance, but really because I think we understand them the best. Um, and they are far less controversial in the church. And so if you want more information on the first three categories, come talk to me, come talk to another pastor, come talk to a missional community leader. we got tons of books, tons of information on all of the gifts. We want you to know what your gifts are. Um, but for the sake of time, I cannot possibly dive into each one of them. So, Ryan, if you don't mind, let's throw the first. Do we have them on there? Okay, that's fine. Cool. So first two categories you just see here, the uh, first one's the speaking gifts. That's the gift of teaching and the gift of evangelism. The next category of gifts we see in the Bible are what's called leadership gifts. They're leadership, administration, shepherding, and apostleship. And apostleship is just simply, um, that's little a apostleship. That's the ability to do things like start new churches, start new ministries, kind of advance the kingdom in areas where it's not really uh, moved forward yet. Okay? And so the second cat or third category, this is probably actually the most looked over category, but I would say it's one of the most important in the churches, honestly. And I would say most of you are going to have at least one of these gifts. These are the serving gifts. This is the gift of mercy, the gift of hospitality, of giving, of helps, and encouragement. And let me say something about all these gifts before I move forward. Just because you don't have the gift of giving doesn't mean you shouldn't give. Or just because you don't have the gift of evangelism doesn't mean you shouldn't go and evangelize. The point of the gifts are this. If you have one of these gifts, you're just going to be more aware of the need than other people in the church. And so you might see more of a need to serve, more of a need to make sure we're, we're getting guests connected, and you need to coach other people in doing the same thing. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's the first uh, three categories. Now, the ones I want to focus on the most, and we can put it on the screen if we have it, is what is known as the supernatural gifts. And the list that you see here is actually a list. If you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, around verses 8 through verse 11, you'll see all of them listed right here. Okay, and again, the reason I want to focus on these is because these are uh, far less understood, and therefore because of that they are far more controversial in the church, and far more abused, and far more neglected. Does that make sense? So it's important that, again, this is going to be the teaching part of the message, especially, where I'm going to dive into these and try to share with you a little bit about each gift and what we believe about it as pastors, okay? But before I do that, let me say this. There are three, I would call, mainstream views on the supernatural gifts today. The first one is what I'll call the hyper-charismatic view, um, and these are people that would say, if you have been baptized with the Holy Spirit, you have these gifts, you should function in these gifts. And for example, as we'll talk about later, if you don't have things like tongues, you're possibly not even saved. Okay? That's one of the gifts. That's one of the views, I mean. Another view is what's called the cessationist view. And these are people who believe that the gifts have ceased today. These are people that believe, yes, obviously we can't deny these gifts are in the Bible, but we do not need them today. We don't function in them today. The third view in mainstream, I guess, Christianity culture is the view that is known as the continuationist view. These are people that say, yes, these uh, gifts are in the Bible and they continue today. We can still function in them and use them and pursue them today. All right, so that's the three main views. The first one, hyper-charismatic view, I'm not going to spend any time talking about for a couple reasons. One, I just don't see any biblical support for um, at all. As we dive into scripture, the pastors don't see any uh, biblical support for it. I'll talk more about that with tongues in a little bit. Um, and it's really not something that, that we see even debated a whole lot within Christian culture around here. 
The cessationist view and the continuationist view, however, are often debated within this area, and we even have some within this church who would say they're cessationists and some who would say they're continuationists. And so, so that's why we want to focus on these. When I became a Christian at 20 years old, I was a cessationist. Okay, I believed the gifts had ceased, and not because of something I read in the Bible, but because that's the way I grew up. I grew up in a church that just didn't function in any way, uh, never even talked about the gifts. I didn't even know what the gifts of the Spirit are. Truth is, when I got my first job as a pastor, they said, well, you, what, what do you know about the gifts of the Spirit? I said, nothing. Like, that was the truth. I knew nothing about the gifts of the Spirit. So that's why I was just kind of functionally a sensationist. Um, now, though, uh, myself, as long as Luke and Rusty, we would call ourselves continuationists. We believe that all of these gifts that are on the screen are actually for believers today, okay? And I'll, I'll tell you how I kind of begin to shift in my mind and my thinking. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we have that text, can we put that up there? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 through 11, is really the passage in all of the Bible that cessationists and continuationists debate over, okay? And um, I'm going to read this for you, and then I'm going to break it down for you and show you why we landed in the, the camp that says we believe the gifts continue. So let's look at it together. Paul's writing here, and he says, As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. See that? As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, and if you have a Bible and a pen, you might want to underline when the perfect comes, because that's what all the debate is over, is right here. When the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, and I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. We have more? Does it go further? Oh, okay. Well, then let me keep reading. Um, fortunately, I've got a Bible in front of me. Verse 12, For we know, or if we now see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Okay, so here's what the debate is over. What Paul is saying in this passage is when the perfect comes, the gifts will cease. That's pretty clear, right? It's obvious. I mean, he just says it straight up. When the perfect comes, the gifts will cease. The debate is over what does Paul mean when he's talking about the perfect. Now, those in the cessationist camp would say this. What Paul is referring to is the Bible. And so what Paul is saying is when we get the Bible, we'll no longer have need for the gifts. And why do they say? Because Paul says in verse 12, when we get it, we will see God face to face and we will know him as fully as he knows us. Now listen, I've been a Christian now for 12 years. I try to dive into the Bible every single day. I have a master's degree in the Bible. I've studied the biblical languages. I, I work on sermons every single week. And listen, just because I have the scriptures, I would say this morning, I have not seen God face to face. I haven't. Uh, I would also not be arrogant enough to say that I know God as fully as he knows me. Okay, and, and so for us and the pastors, we believe, and we're not alone in this, there's many, many, many pastors and theologians that hold to this view and, and biblical scholars. We believe what Paul's talking about when he's talking about the perfect coming is not the Bible, but the return of Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying is when Jesus returns, of course the gifts will cease. We won't need healing because everybody will be healed. We won't need prophecy because all of everything we know about God will be fully revealed. We'll see him face to face. We won't need things like tongues because we'll all be speaking in the same language and we'll all be swept up fully into the presence of God. Right? That's what we believe Paul is talking about here. So again, as your pastors, and you don't have to hold this view to be a member of this church, or, but we believe as the pastors, when we study the scriptures, 
that the gifts continue today because Christ has not returned, and we are, therefore, to delight in these, as Paul says, and we are to pursue them. Okay? So now, what I want to do is I want to walk through this list. It's in your Bible again, 1 Corinthians 12, and I want to explain what these gifts mean. If you look in verse 8, the first gift that Paul pulls out is this. He says, if, if you've received the Holy Spirit... He says that some of you will receive the gift of wisdom. Now, this is a gift that doesn't get a lot of fanfare because when we think of wisdom, we think of, oh, the older you are, the wiser you are. Some people have street smarts, some don't, right? But what Paul is talking about here is a supernatural wisdom. It's a divine ability that the Spirit gives some people to navigate through tricky situations that have a pretty unclear solution, okay? Now, listen carefully. Probably 99.9% .9 of the stuff that we need to make decisions on in our life like, it can all be found right here. Like, this is, we don't need anything else other than our Bible. For example, if a wife came up to me this week and said, Hey, Pastor Jared, um, you know, I've been married five years, and I'm thinking about divorcing my husband. Uh, he's gained 20 pounds in the last five years, and it's not from CrossFit, if you know what I mean. And so, like, I'm thinking about leaving him. What should I do? Right? I'm not going to at that moment be like, Holy Spirit, please give me wisdom. I don't have a clue what I do. Like, no, I'm going to say, no, you shouldn't divorce your husband. And she says, why? Like, because the Bible's already said you shouldn't divorce your husband. The Bible says that marriage is between one man and one woman for a lifetime, so you should stay with your husband. That's a pretty clear answer from Scripture. But there are other times where Scripture doesn't really speak into our situations in a real direct way. For example, should I take this job or should I keep this job? Should I marry this person or should I not marry this person? Should I pursue this degree or should I pursue that degree? Right? These are situations where the Bible would say we need a supernatural gifting of wisdom that we can impart to other people and say, I believe this is what God would have for you. Right? So this is one of the gifts Paul is speaking about here. Another gift he talks about in verse 8 is the gift of knowledge. And when you think about knowledge, here's basically what this gift means. When you receive the gift of knowledge... You receive knowledge about someone or something that you could in no way know apart from the Holy Spirit. Pretty crazy, isn't it? Um, but we see it in Scripture. We see it with Jesus, for example, with the woman at the well. Whenever he's talking to the woman at the well, he says to her, I know the man you're living with right now is not your husband, and I know that you've had five husbands prior to this man. She looks at him and she says, what? Jesus, how in the world did you know this? And how does Jesus know because as we talked about last week, he was a man who walked filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit gave him this knowledge. Now, we don't just see this in the Bible. We see it today as well. I've got pastor friends. As a matter of fact, I talked with one just this past week who has this gift and was able to share stories and examples from his own life. Uh, I heard another pastor talking this week about his wife has this gift. And he said just recently in their church, for example, uh, what happened is, uh, is um, his wife went up to another lady who was pregnant and she said, I know this may seem a little, seem a little strange, but I just, uh, I'm just wondering, have you been smoking marijuana? And the lady said, just started crying. She said, how did you know? And she said, I just felt the Lord gave me that. She said, yeah, I know it's illegal, and, I, and I've actually been wanting to get out of it. And, and she said, but, you know, and like the woman repented right there on the spot, and like they're able to now work through this with this woman. Right? That's an example of a gift of knowledge. And I would just encourage you, some of you, if you feel like you have this, um, I would just say this. Tread carefully. Um, knowledge is power. And with power, you can crush people or you can set people free. The point of all the gifts is to set people free. 
The point of all the gifts is to build people up. So don't ever go up to somebody and be like, I know you're having an affair, right? Like, that'll get you punched, or it should, right? Be humble at the right time, at the right place, not in a public setting. I would never shame anybody. That's not what the Spirit wants to do, is shame people. I would go up to somebody and maybe present it as a question at the right time as the Spirit leads you. Of, hey, I know this might seem crazy. I'm just wondering, like, have you been struggling with faithfulness to your wife? You know, that's a much more humble approach, and this is what I think we would see even in Scripture. Okay, so that's the gift of knowledge. In verse 9, we move on. Paul talks about the gift of faith. And this is not just a general measure of saving faith that all Christ followers have. This is an extraordinary faith to do something that would seem impossible to others. This is an extraordinary faith to move forward even when things don't make sense on paper. And I can share several examples of this in my own life where God has given me extra measures of faith to do things that other people said I'm crazy to do. Right? Moving to, to Louisville, Kentucky was one of them to go to seminary when I didn't have a dollar to my name, didn't know anybody, and had no idea where the money was going to come from. I had complete confidence God had given me a faith in that moment to move even whenever it made sense to nobody else. Another time is when I planted this church. Right? I, I remember, I mean, people looking at me and saying, you don't have, any, you don't have a budget, uh, you don't have any people. Right? Like, how in the world do you plan on moving forward and planting a church. All I could say is that God gave me an extra measure of faith, and even though I had many people saying, this is stupid, it's never going to work, God gave me a faith to move forward in spite of what other people were saying and what it looked like on paper. And I can give you example after example of this in my own life. Another gift that Paul talks about in here is the gift of healing in verse 9. And actually, different than the other gifts, notice this one doesn't just say the gift of healing, it says the gifts of healing. And the reason I think it says the gifts of healing is because I believe this is not just like a one-time thing God gives to you. I think it's something he gives to many different people at many different times. So when you think about the gifts of healing, don't think of like if you've received this gift, you're like an X-Man that's like going like wiping out like hospitals. It's like cleaning them out, like healed, 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 healed. You know, like that's, like, that's not what, what I think the Bible teaches. And that's, despite what you've seen probably on television with certain people, right? Like that's just not what I believe is going on here. I believe that those who receive the gifts of healing are people just like you and just like me. If someone in our missional community is sick or they're in pain or they're, they're hurting or someone outside of our MC, whatever, we in faith say, all right, I, I'm going to pray for healing. And there are times if it's going to be good for this person because God is a good dad who only gives good gifts, he's going to heal the person. But if God sees that healing is not what's best for them, he's not going to heal. But he's still a good God, Right? And we've seen this in our church. There are times where we have laid hands on people and they have not been healed. I talked to a brother last week that said he said people lay hands on him for an issue and he hasn't been healed. There are times that happen, but there are other times we've laid hands on people and we've seen God heal them gradually and then times we've laid hands on them and seen God heal them on the spot. Right? A couple of years ago, we, you, some of you have heard this story with Hannah Jackson who was having severe migraines, like the, the left side of her face was numb. She was struggling with blurry vision. It was really nauseous. And she came to one of our prayer meetings. We laid hands on her, and God healed her instantly on the spot. Uh, last year, I had a cyst come up on me that I, I was causing me pain. I'd heard it. I was going to have to have it surgically remo removed. I was at a prayer meeting. Murray and several others came and laid hands on me. The next day, I went to the doctor. The doctor said, it's gone. I don't even see the cyst. It's, it's gone. I don't know why, but it just disappeared. Right? Healed on the spot. We believe that this, again, is a gift that God gives to his church at different times. Another gift that Paul talks about in here is the working of miracles in verse 10. And basically, this is Paul's way of saying there are things that the Spirit is going to do through you that are so powerful and so crazy, science and nature can't explain it. And for some of you, you're like, well, I've been to college. I don't believe in miracles. All right? Well, did Jesus perform miracles? Yes or no? Yes. 
And did Jesus not say last week that when you receive the Holy Spirit, these things you will do and greater things than this? Yes. And that's why we see miracles in the early church. That's why we see miracles throughout the world today. A couple of years ago, a pastor friend of ours, Jeff Vanderstelt, um, he, he's part of our Selma family. He shared a story about there was a guy in his church he was discipling, and this guy was on his way to work one day, and he felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit to return back to his house because he felt like this impression that my neighbor is in trouble. So he turned back around, he drove to his house, and he went to his, or to his neighbor's house, and he found his neighbor hanging by a noose in his garage. He walks into the garage, finds some shears, cuts his neighbor down, and this guy's an EMT, so he begins to perform CPR on this guy. I mean, just over and over and over and over. Compressions, breathing into him, and he just realized he's dead. And at that moment, he said, I almost got up and went away and, you know, called police, whatever else. And he said, but I felt the spirit to say, you know, like, this is just faith. I need to pray that God raises this guy from the dead. And so he just prayed right there in the garage, just him. God, through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, please raise this man from the dead. His color returned. He set right back up. And the guy's still alive and healthy today. Right? It's crazy stuff. Right? A, a few years ago, before we launched this church, there was like 15, 20 of us in a core group. I preached a funeral for a young man, 18 years old. And after, um, after the funeral, our missional community, um, some of you think I'm going to raise this kid from the dead. No, it's not what happened. And so uh, wish it wish that would have happened. But um, we had told this family, they didn't have a church family, so we said, you know, we'll feed y'all after it's over and just love on you. And so they said, okay, well, there'll be about 30 of us that shows up. And uh, it was actually at the, the banquet hall. And, um, and so like, we prepare for 30 people. Some of you remember this. Prepare for 30 people, like 80 or 90 show up. And uh, we were like, okay, this is not good. And so we just said, well, we're going to have to pray that God multiplies this food or not all these people are going to eat. So we pray for God to multiply the food. And what's crazy is not only could people come around one time and get enough food, people were coming back for seconds and thirds. And then after it was all over, we still had enough food, our 15 or 20 in our core group, to eat the food ourselves. And then after it was over, still threw away food. Right? It's crazy. And, and here's the deal. Do miracles happen all the time? Do they happen every single day? No. That's why they're called miracles and not Wednesday. Because they don't happen every single week. All right? That's what makes them miraculous. They wouldn't be miraculous if it just like happened at the drop of a hat, like any time, right? Um, but we still believe that miracles occur today. Um, the sixth gift that Paul pulls out in here, verse 10, is the gift of prophecy. And this gets a bad rap too. Basically, a prophecy is just a spontaneous word or a phrase or scripture or a dream or a picture that is from the Spirit and for someone else. And, and the way you know it's a prophecy is, listen, it will always be in line with the scripture. It's never going to contradict what we see in the Bible, and it's always going to be encouraging to the other person. It's going to build them up. Um, I can give you a couple examples of prophecy in my life. Um, I could give several, but I'll just give you a couple. Um, sometimes it's as simple as just giving an encouraging word that we believe is from the Lord for someone else. And so a couple years ago, there was a pastor in town that was really discouraged in his ministry, wanted to go eat, and I was sitting with him at the table, and he's just sharing all this stuff, and I'm like, I have no idea what to say to this guy. Immediately, I felt a strong impression from the Lord to share with him that God loves him and that he's not a failure. And so I just stopped him and I said, hey man, I really believe right now that God wants you to hear this. Like he loves you, he delights in you and does not think you're a failure at all. And the guy on the spot begins to cry right there in Don Jose, grown man, big man, cry like a baby in, in Don Jose and says to me, you have no idea how bad I needed to hear that. He says, I believe God brought me here just for this moment. Right? That's an example of prophecy. If God given a word and you're just saying, I believe God wants you to hear this. Does that sound crazy? 
We do it all the time. We just don't call it prophecy. It's like, I just have a thought in my head, and I think I'm just awesome, so it's probably from me. So let me tell you, no, it's from God. You're not awesome, <laughs> right? Um, another example of this is sometimes prophecies are about the present state. Sometimes they're about the future. And so right before I moved to Louisville, I had a guy come and sit with me one time in my office, and he said to me, hey, I know you're about to move to Louisville, but I really believe that God is going to call you back to the city someday to start something that's going to be a movement in the city that will move even beyond the city for the glory of God. Right? Just a picture I have in my head. And now we know, like, this has come to pass. Right? And this was seven years before I ever even thought about coming and planting here in Paragold, Arkansas, right? So again, this is an example of a prophetic word from the Lord. Two more gifts that we'll talk about in verse 10. He also talks about the distinguishing between spirits. This is the ability to know what Jesus is up to and what the enemy is up to. Uh, This is a gift to cut through things as they seem to be and to know what's really going on in the spiritual world. And we see this all through the scripture. Jesus, for example, when he's talking to Peter, says, get behind me, Satan. Right? It's Peter who's talking But Jesus discerns through the Spirit that actually Satan is behind his words. Uh, We see this later with Peter in Acts chapter 8, verse 18 through 24. They're doing ministry with a guy named Simon. Peter discerns through the Spirit. His motives are wrong, and he says to him, You have now no share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. We see it in Acts 16, 16, when Paul is talking to this girl who appeared to everybody else to be this strong Christian girl, and Paul says, Actually, this girl's operating in a demonic spirit. Right? And so we see this all through the scripture. And some of you have said you believe maybe that God has given you this gift. And you share with me examples even recently of how you felt like something was going on below the surface and we discovered later what that really was. And I would just encourage you, again, like with prophecy and with knowledge, to tread lightly here, right? But to realize this is a real gift from God that is useful for our church today because what it does is it keeps people from being able to hide, it keeps people from being able to be deceived, right? And what I would encourage you to do is if you've received this gift, right, proceed with prayerful caution. I'm not saying go look for a demon behind every tree, right? But if the Spirit prompts you, if you feel a check in your spirit, don't ignore it, right? You can come to one of us as a pastor. That might be the best thing to do, to say, I feel this about someone in the church, and then let the pastors pray about it and see if there's a time that maybe we can bring it up in a way that'll be beneficial for this person and for our church. The last gift that Paul talks about in here is the gift of tongues. And this is probably one of the most controversial of all of the gifts. Basically, the gift of tongues is this. Uh, Those who receive the gift of tongues receive this supernatural experience where the Spirit enables you to speak in a language you don't understand. Sometimes we see like in Acts 2, it's a human language where it's meant for things like missions, where you're with someone from a different country, you don't speak the same language as them, and the Spirit takes over your mouth and communicates the gospel in a way they understand. That's what happens in Acts 2. But it's not just that. It's also, we see it in Acts 14, you can read it later, Paul talks about a prayer language where you speak in tongues to God in a way that only God understands. Okay? And I want to say a couple things about this. Um, Yuana, are you here? Awesome. Can you come up here? Is that cool? Um, like, is she going to speak in tongues right now? I don't know. Let's see. No. Um, I've asked her to come up here and, and, and um, to help me with a little illustration real quick. We do not believe, and I know some of you have a Pentecostal background, uh, a real charismatic background, and, and we don't speak in tongues here at our public gathering. And some of you have questioned that. Like, why is that? Is the Spirit really even moving here? And we believe in Scripture that Paul speaks of if... 
you have the gift of tongues, it should not be used in public unless he's given someone the gift of interpretation to interpret those things. Okay, and so, Joanna, what's up? This is Joanna. Give it up for her. Make her feel a little bit more comfortable. Um, she, uh, much like me, is a great athlete, played, uh, played uh, tennis at Arkansas State University. So go tennis. And is from New Zealand. And so what I've asked her to do is to share a word with the people in your native language. Um, and then um, we'll, we'll take it from there, okay? Before I go into it, um, some of the words that I may say sound like a cuss word to just... <laughs> because I've seen it before and people are like, oh, she's saying this word, but it's not. You told me earlier this week you've always just wanted to cuss in church. No! Right? Oh. Um, all right. Uh, which is Proverbs 3, 5, and uh, verse 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Awesome. And that's Tongan. And Tonga is this little island on the map that nobody can see, but it exists. I promise you. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, you're a round of applause. Perfect. All right, so whenever she spoke tongue and right, I mean, it was beautiful, but how many of you were like, man, that is such a word that I needed today? Awesome. Like, we were all like, she could be making it up. I, I don't even know if she's making it up. Like, is it a real language? I don't know. Like, um, right? But whenever she spoke it to us, she interpreted it to us in English. You're like, oh, right, I'm blessed by that. That's a word from the Lord. And that's the point of an interpreter, right? Is the whole point of these gifts, as Paul is saying, is like, they're just to build people up. It's to build the church up. And if, and if people speaking jibber-jabbers doesn't build the church up or speaking in tongues, it's not good. But if it's there and there's an interpreter and it builds the church up, then we're for it. Does that make sense? And uh, one other thing I would just say on this, like I know, again, some of you have, have grown up here and if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you will definitely speak in tongues. And I just don't see that in Scripture. We see 22 detailed accounts of conversions in Acts. Only three of the 22 times is it recorded they speak in tongues. Sometimes you will receive the Holy Spirit and you will speak in tongues. Sometimes you will receive the Holy Spirit and you may not. Okay? Nonetheless, I believe this is a gift like the rest of them that we should delight in and we should pursue. Even this week, I prayed for God to give me the gift of tongues. He didn't. I've never spoken in, in tongues, right? But I'm going to continue to pursue these as, as well as all the other gifts that I really believe are good for us and glorifying to God. And so here's the question as we are starting to come in for a landing. Some of you hear all this this morning and you're like, this is awesome. Like, I didn't even know that we were charismatic, you know? Like, this is, this is great. Like, and I didn't even know about the gifts, right? Like, so I feel like God's way bigger than I even thought, and I can have more intimacy with him than I ever thought. I'm excited about pursuing these, but some of you are a little freaked out right now, right? Some of you are like, I thought this was a Bible church, and we were the, you know, it's like the Trinity is the Father, Son, and the Holy Bible, right? Uh, no, it's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is a Bible church, which is why we just preach from the Bible, I know this is not an American sermon, but it is a biblical one. And what I just want to say is, all I ask of you is this, is just remain open to the reality that maybe this is true. That's all I ask. And that you don't believe something just because you grew up believing it. Are you going to have doubts and questions? Probably some of you will have a lot of questions. And some of you sitting here today still have doubts. And listen, this is a safe place for questions and doubts. You do not have to believe like me or Luke or Rusty 
or missional community leaders in order to stay around here. We planted this church for people with doubts and questions. All right? And so please don't be afraid of like, I got to run away. Like, if you're thinking about never coming back, at least sit down with some of us and say, here's why I believe differently than you. And I promise you, our only agenda is to follow Jesus. Our only agenda is to know more of the God we find in the scripture. So in light of this, what are some next steps practically? Because I know I just threw a lot of information on you. First thing I would encourage you to do is when it comes to pursuing the gifts is get involved in a missional community. And the reason I would say that is because, again, what are the gifts for? They're to build up the body of Christ. Why do you need the gifts if you're not even connected to the body? If you want to use your gifts, the best way to do that is to get connected beyond Sunday morning in a missional community. If you really want to experience more of the empowering presence of God, get connected to a local church. Another reason it's important to get involved in community is because, have any of you ever seen American Idol? Okay, all right. You know the funniest part is the auditions, right? And you really like, feel so sorry for them. Like You almost get nervous for them. It's just like, how in the world did they make it this far thinking they can sing? Right? Like They're awful. right? Some of them are. And the reason they're able to make it that far is they never had a healthy community that said, you can't sing, bro. <laughs> Some of you are like, I have the gift of prophecy. Okay, we'll see. Get involved in a missional community. I have the gift of teaching. Why not preaching on Sunday? Okay, we'll see. Has anybody else confirmed that besides your mom? Right? <laughs> we need community. Secondly, I would just say start making space. Again, we talked about the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a he. And so cultivate a relationship with God. Make space. Ask him for the gifts. And then again, we would encourage you to delight in them and to pursue them because that's what the Bible says. And why are we doing all this? Not because we want to make much of ourselves, but because we want to make much of Jesus. That's why we do this. We want to make much of Jesus. And what the gifts are here for is to build up the body of Christ so that we can show our city the most accurate picture of what Jesus is like. I pray that this will be a church that is marked by grace and by power. And that's only going to happen as we are a people who will humble ourselves under God's word, under the authority of the scripture, and say, I want whatever it is, God, that you have for me in this church, even if it kind of shakes up some of the categories that I had built up in my own mind. My hope is that as we pursue these things, more and more people in our city will have a daily encounter with King Jesus and see a picture of what his kingdom is really like. And maybe even for some of you this morning, this might happen for the first time. For some of you this morning, you, you may receive some gifts for the first time because for the first time, you're going to finally ask a good father, give me these gifts. And as a good dad does, he's going to delight in giving them to you. Maybe for some of you for the first time, you're going to begin to have a real relationship with the God of the Bible. Maybe for the very first time today, you're going to realize that God does not want to just know you from afar, but he wants to have a personal, intimate relationship with you. And you want to know what the greatest example of that is? It's not through these spiritual gifts, but it's through the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. The fact that he gave up his only son for you and for me to come live a perfect life we could never live and to die a death we deserve to die, to raise from the dead, conquering sin, death, and hell, and then giving us his Holy Spirit 
It lets us know that he desires a relationship with you, no matter who you are or where you come from. I pray this morning that you see that what God has already done for you, he now wants to do through you for the good of this church, for the good of this city, and ultimately for the glory of his name. I'm going to ask that you stand with me. Our band's going to come forward. Thank you so much for your patience. I know it's been a long, long message. You've done very, very well. Let's pray, and then we'll finish with a song and communion. Father, I thank you so much for each person that is here this morning. I believe there's no one here by accident. I pray right now you will do through your Holy Spirit what needs to be done, that you will give gifts to those who need gifts and that we will function in those. But more importantly, that if there is somebody here who has not received the gift of salvation, that they will receive that today through faith in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.